I know that all our listeners are experiencing great concern for our nation, concerns I hope to address in the message today entitled, If America Should Fall. Hello everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is the Bread of Life. This is a program of the International Disciple Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism. You can learn more about us by going to traincpe.org or to learn more about our local missions fellowship, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Today we are one lesson into a sermon entitled, If America Should Fall. The first thing we are considering is how God tests the genuineness of our faith as he promises to do in 1 Peter chapter 1. And listen, paramount to anything else in the life of the church and the Christian is whether her, whether their, faith is genuine. It has much to do with what God is doing in our nation today. That's now, for a moment, let me just share with you two ways in which I believe God tests our faith. Let's talk about faith and and what it looks like when it's being tested. And and I'm going to suggest two ways for you as we dial in a little bit further and further into the point I want to make with you this morning. And the first thing is this. In testing our faith, God will remove the mediums that brought the message of faith to us. In testing our faith, God will remove the mediums, the good mediums that God uses to bring that faith to us. God had used Peter God had used Paul as messengers to bring the word of saving faith to those in the early church. The early believers had begun to look to them as essential elements of their faith. You'll remember in Corinth that there had been an argument that arose and there was a division in the church that rose up as some individuals said, we're of the party of Paul. And others said, we're of the party of Peter. And this kind of reliance in the messengers who brought the gospel message to you is natural. But at some point, it begins to undermine true faith. Paul and Peter and the apostles could slowly become objects of the people's faith. And so God takes away these good men and these messengers so that they do not become idolized or they don't become uh, standards of life in the place of Jesus Christ alone. James, who also writes about the trials, was one of the very first to be removed from the church. As individuals began to learn that they were not to look to men and not even to look to those who God used to bring the message to them, but they were to look to Christ alone. Let me give you some other examples. These mediums are not simply people that God uses to proclaim the message of salvation to us, but God does that. I remember when my father was dying, and I wanted to find a compelling reason to ask God to leave my father and, and let him remain in our lives and I was trying to find some, you know, some hold, some argument to make for God healing my father. And, but the one thing I couldn't say is that I needed him. That somehow I needed him and had to have him in order for what? My father had taught me my whole life that Christ was all we needed. That he was our sufficiency in all things. And his instruction had robbed the prayer from my lips and at the same way in the same way over the history of the church God has strategically removed men from the church when they became points of dependence for individuals in the church in order to cause people to rest their faith completely and utterly on Jesus Christ alone but it's not just people God also uses other mediums to present and teach us his truths and the truths of our salvation he'll use objects and he'll use practices that he gives us But eventually what can happen is we can begin to rest and identify ourselves with these mediums more than the message that they were used to bring to us. Marshall McLuhan was a Canadian communications theorist. He stated that that 
The medium is the message. And what he meant was that the way that we gain and give information to one another can actually become more influential than the messages that we give to one another. We transfer our focus upon the form in which the truth was communicated to us and the thing that communicated to us and it makes a greater impact on our lives and becomes more important to us than the very truths that it communicated to us. It begins to design the patterns in which we live and the way we think. The medium, he said, is the message. So follow me here. God used the temple and all of its furnishings. The table of showbread, the altar of incense, the golden lampstand, the brazen laver, the altar of burnt offerings, the Ark of the Covenant. God actually laid out the design for all these things. And he gave it to the people of Israel as an instruction, as an instructional way to teach them about himself and their way to him. Along with that, he gave them the temple and its whole layout. He gave the gates and the courtyards and the holy place and the most holy place of the temple. He provided it with the various sacrifices that were to be made in that place, the sacrifices of grain offerings and, then, and thank offerings and sin offerings and burnt offerings of lambs and rams and bulls and doves and... And then God orchestrated and brought to the nation of Israel all the festivals that surround the temple so that they would learn to come before God and celebrate various aspects of God's saving work for them, the the Passover feast and the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Dedication and on and on we could go. And, And then God also provided all the attendants to the temple in order that they too might be instructional people. So he gave them the Levitical priesthood and the Aaronic priesthood and God used all of these things Surrounding the temple as mediums or as a medium or model for communicating his holiness to the people, their sinfulness, their need to come to him by way of sacrifice alone for the forgiveness of sins through a provision that God would make on their behalf. God used it to teach them the way of approaching him for worship and much more. Ultimately, all the meaning of the temple, all of the meaning of the temple pointed to all that was found in the saving work of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said that he was greater than the temple. Jesus answers all that is declared and taught and made known in the temple and all of its furnishings. All of the sacrifices, all of the priestly duties, all of the holy days, all of these things find their utter fullness in Christ and the salvation that Christ provides. All the meaning that they were communicating to the people of Israel. These were all just mediums to prepare the Jews for the salvation that was to be revealed to them in their Messiah. But the people of Israel lost sight of the message brought to them through this sacred medium. They began to believe that they derived their salvation by merely engaging in the mediums of the temple instead of engaging with the God who revealed himself through the temple. And so God began to speak against the temple and the activities that were engaged in that place, the very activities that he himself had ordained, the very place that he had established Eventually, God would tell the Jews through his prophets that their sacrifices were an abomination to him. David knew that this was true even before the temple was built. He knew that if men trusted in the medium instead of bowing before God, it would reveal they did not go to him for what it was God desired, and it would do them no good. God didn't desire it from them. In Psalm 51, verse 16, as David is offering his own confession of sin, David writes this, of God, for you desire not sacrifice. The very sacrifice that God had instituted and God had called for, else I would give it to you. And you do not delight in burnt offerings, the very burnt offerings that God calls for when a man falls into sin. The sacrifice of God are a broken 
spirit and a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. All that God had provided in the temple and its sacrificial system, if it did not produce a broken and contrite heart, completely turning to him, was something that God would despise. Again, again, God speaks again and again through the prophets along this line. Through Hosea, God reminded the people saying this, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. You see this? Here God is speaking against the very mediums that he had given to the people in order to teach them and lead them to himself. What does God eventually do? The people ultimately rely, even though God tells them this, they keep relying upon the temple. Their faith gets built up and built up more and more in the temple to such an extent that when the Lord Jesus came along and the Lord Jesus spoke, by that time they had developed oaths that they would make towards the temple in order to cement their words and they would develop patterns of behavior. They were all regulated around the temple and when they brought an accusation against the Lord Jesus, the most serious accusation they brought was that he, he said, I will destroy this temple. Put them in an upheaval because the temple by this time had become everything and the thing that had secured their very word and pledged to one another. What does God eventually do? Years and years of the people coming to the temple has slowly turned them to put their faith in the temple and, and for what purpose? So that they could be happy. So that they could be prosperous. So that God would bless them. And so what does God do? He removes them from the temple. He takes the temple away. He takes away the priesthood. He takes away the temple and destroys it. He brings it into all their sacrifices. They had put their faith in the temple. They had ordered their lives around the medium instead of around God. And he took it all away as a test to see if it was gone and removed from them if they would turn to seek him alone and the salvation that he provided through his Savior, his Son alone. Here's another example for you. When the nation of Israel was wandering through the wilderness, they fell into sin because they began to grumble against God. And they, God sent poisonous snakes, we read in, uh, in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, poisonous snakes among them to bite them. And they were dying in agony. And Moses goes to God, and God provides for Moses to build and instructs Moses to build a bronze snake and to put it upon a pole. And that the people, when they're bitten, if they look at that bronze snake, They'll be healed, and God used it as a lesson or a medium to teach the people that they had to confront the ugliness of their own sin and face up to it in order to be healed. And the Lord Jesus will later on refer to his crucifixion as the point where people must confront their sin and God's provision for it in order to be saved. In John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Jesus said, you might remember to Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that everyone who believes will have eternal life in him. What a wonderful medium that God had used to communicate a way of salvation to us through a singular look at Jesus Christ dying for and becoming sin for us who knew no sin in order that we might be made right with God there on the cross. However, the nation of Israel hung on to that brass snake for some time after they came into the promised land. And the, when they were wandering in the promised land, it's when this bronze snake was constructed and it provided this point of healing for them at a time of rebellion when they turned back to God. But initially, this snake was likely a memorial reminding them of God's healing power for their sins. But over time, the deep meaning of this brass snake had been lost to them. And so that they began to call this snake Nehushtan, and the word Nehushtan simply means the brass thing. 
the brass thing. And they began to go to the brass thing as a lucky charm or a place to get an extra blessing or favor. During the reformations of King Hezekiah, we're told in 2 Kings 18.4 that Hezekiah began to remove all the points and places of false worship in the people of Israel. We read there that he removed the high places and he smashed the memorial stones to pieces and he cut down the Asherah poles. In other words, he, he removed those points and places that were, where they were worshiping Baal in Israel and Judah. And then it says this, he also crushed to pieces the brass serpent that Moses had made for until those days, the sons of Israel had been turning, burning incense to it, and it was called Nehushtan, the brass thing. Let's go get a favor. Let's go to a blessing. Let's burn some incense before the brass thing. This thing that God had provided, this medium that God had wonderfully used to teach the people to confront their sin and find their salvation in God alone, had become an idol and an object where they, where they were just trying to retrieve blessing for themselves. It lost all of its value and message of His grace that it had meant at one time. It had become an object for faith for their own comforts. And God had it destroyed. And the destruction of that thing was a test of faith. With it gone, the question would be, would the people turn back to what was true? Or did they have a faith that had moved to the wrong object for the wrong ends, that rested in the mediums of truth instead of truth itself? The test would the test would find out where their hearts really were. Thanks for listening in. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, and Church Partnership Evangelism. Go to breadoflifeboise.org to learn about either ministry. Until the next time, may God bless you.